you know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly... Uh, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we're not experts. But we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. And hello and welcome. Hello. To yet another episode. (sighs) You just held Henry. Oh my gosh. Talk about self-care. Holding someone else's child. Yeah. Real delicious. He's at the age where he's like becoming a baby. Yeah, he was looking around. Yeah, he's he, got a big head. He's got a nice big head. Oh, yeah. so and his body just felt nice and heavy and comforting in my arms. Yeah. It, he was like a weighted blanket. Oh, a little yeah. bit. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. There is a weighted blanket yeah. vibe to holding a child. Yeah, 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 totally. It felt great. So thank you for letting me have that. You are so welcome. It's a it's self-care. I'm just going to break into his little bedroom anytime I come over and grab him. You're going to come over when like, I'm not home. Yep. You'll walk in. I'll be sitting on the couch with your baby and your dog. That's when we know things have taken a turn. For the better. For the better. Your husband moves out. Yeah. We start our commune. Into it. Well, that, that, that went somewhere. Yeah, it sure did. Anyway, how are you? Dory. Uh, last week I talked a lot about, or the past few weeks I've talked a lot about food struggles yeah. and people have been very kind and I've received yeah. a lot of kind messages, messages, messages. So I just want to say thanks for seeing me and yeah. hearing me. Uh, we do see you. Kate. Yes. And I really appreciate it. It's been an interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. Stop, I'm just really in the beginning of it and I'm yeah. trying to look at myself with loving kindness. And practice that. But I really appreciate people who have reached out with their own 
journeys and experiences and book recommendations. Is there anything you've gleaned or learned from what you've heard from people? I think the biggest thing for me is like, I am one of many. Mm -hmm. It is a it is a large societal problem and yeah. I don't feel alone and that's very comforting. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing I did want to mention since last week, I believe my intention was to share my accomplishments. Yes. I finally finished a first draft <laughs> of a fiction work. Yay! And that for me is an accomplishment. That is a, for you i mean for anyone that sure. is huge kate i finished it and i, I was like look at me t like t he i yeah. did it i did it the it's amazing i did it so you that was very satisfying it. to do to do to have set out months ago to write this freaking yes. thing oh dory god what a slog anyway i but, did it but you did it did it and i'm proud of myself and you wrote the end kind of did the last line is like and so we went away <laughs> i was just so over it i was like i'll fix this down the road i just couldn't know how to i didn't know how to end it so well, i just was like the end bye i can't wait to read it well one day when it's cleaned up a bit but but just the feeling of finishing something i i feel very proud of myself yes, i know this you could, should this could be a nothing burger of a item but it doesn't matter but to it's me. so satisfying yeah, it is it was very I, I haven't had that experience often and so it felt really good uh, i'm so happy for well, you thank you for your continued support oh you are welcome in the journey of writing the only other thing that's been going on with me is, is that i've started lotioning up my boobs mm. do you lotion your boobs right now i don't because they're the size of my head <laughs> and all the more reason. Very tender. Yeah. And I can like barely stand to touch them. Um, I do try to lotion my stomach because I feel like especially since I gave birth, it's been especially dry, mm. which is weird. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't really been lotioning my boobs. How's that been going for you? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I put lotion on my body or oil after I shower sometimes. But I, I went and had a facial from our old friend Courtney Chisano. Mm -hmm. And she was showing me a product she had that was specifically a boob cream. Oh, and she's like, and, and she was raving about it. And she said another thing that's really a great thing about the specific, like the intention behind this product by, by, the, by the person who makes it is for women to be touching their breasts every day. So you're also mm. getting to know the feel of your breasts. If anything, unusual pops up you're more aware you know if there is a lump or tenderness or whatnot and i was like yeah you're right i should be creaming my boobs every day so i didn't yeah. purchase the specific cream that she had but i was like you know i have eight million bottles of oil at my house mm -hmm. let me start with those and just make sure to to cream my boobs and my neck every day yeah get those boobs get those boobs feel them touch them how are they feeling know them they're good. good. You know, they, they say hi. Great. They're doing great. Hey, boobs. Yeah, they're nice and moisturized right now. But it just, I, I, that was a good reminder. Like, I do try to do, you know, just check my breasts and my yeah. armpits for lumps and things. But why not do it more often? Totally. While getting moisturized in the process. So there you go. There you go. How have you been, my friend? You know, I have been pretty good. Um, I also felt very validated by our listeners. What a, what a, get, what a group. I mean, what this is why we do this podcast, just to feel validated <laughs> Not by the public. Lie, Dory. It is a delightful <laughs> bonus of making this podcast it to is. have such a supportive group of listeners. Thank you. Um, but a couple weeks ago, I was talking about 
how I hadn't felt that kind of initial burst of love for my child, like when he came out for various reasons. And that had kind of been a slow burn. It came, came later. And I heard from a lot of people who had had the same thing and who also a lot of people had felt guilt about that. Yeah. Because we do have these, we see these narratives of people being like, I, you know, I, I was instantly in love or, you know, I just felt the love wash over me or whatever, like the first time they saw their child. And I think for a lot of us who that didn't happen, it wasn't like a thunderclap of love. <laughs> Great episode title. Oh, thank you. Um, that there's something wrong with us. You yeah. know, or that you're a quote unquote bad parent. Yeah. yeah. And there's just like a lot of stuff that we internalize and that we don't feel comfortable discussing um, related to that. And I think, you know, it was really nice to hear from women who said, thank you for talking about this. So you're welcome. <laughs> thank you all for reaching out to me. Yeah. Because I felt I also was like. Am I weird? Well, it's very vulnerable <laughs> to be like, I didn't experience it the way we, we so often publicly hear people experience. Yes. Um, becoming a parent. Yes. My experience was different. And I think it's not that different. It's just the less talked about experience mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So thank you all for, for reaching out. Um, also, you know, I've been talking about vegetarianism. We got so many nice um, kind, yes, compassionate responses about this. It was very gratifying to hear from people about this. Um, and for people to be like, yeah, it's cool for you to be kind of on a journey with this. Like you don't have to be unequivocally vegetarian for the rest of your life now and never, you know, touch another piece of meat that might happen. And that's okay. Um, a lot of this is on a spectrum, um, but for the last few weeks, I've not been eating meat at all. Cool. Um, and that's been, you know, it's interesting. Like I've, I've been exploring the world of meat substitutes. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> like, you know, fake ground beef crumbles that I put in pasta uh-huh, sauce. Which you found some brands that you like. Yeah. There's, um, Beyond Meat makes some good ones. Uh, what's the other brand? Gar- Gardenia or something. <laughs> That's what you said. Um, Gardein? Is it like G-A-R-D? Yeah. Something like that. We'll, we'll get the proper name, right? Um, yeah. And just, you know, there's, there's like fake sausage, like stuff like that, that I've been using. But then also I'm, you know, and because I'm not vegan, I've still been eating like eggs and, stuff like that um and milk um and but yeah just kind of having a mostly plant-based diet it's really interesting it just you know you kind of have to reframe the way you approach food altogether it's it changes things doesn't it yeah yeah for sure i remember when i first stopped eating meat thinking about like the way I thought about what constitutes a meal change. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like we'd always been like meat. Yes. Car- starch, vegetable. It doesn't, that's not that's what it such has a good to point. be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been eating, you know, lentils and chickpeas and, you know, just 
a lot of avocado. Mm, sounds delicious. Um, yeah. So just sort of exploring that has been has been really it's been kind of fun. You know, it's it's a little bit of a challenge. It's a puzzle in some ways. And you like to explore. You're a curious person. I'm a curious person. Yes, this is true. As are you. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention, um, I thought you might like this phrasing of things. So I was on the website minimalistbaker.com. Oh, yes. Are you familiar with that mm-hmm. website? So I believe the person who runs that was is a former vegan and was vegan for many years. And the website was vegan recipes and then changed a bit. And I think this year announced they would start having some animal-based recipes. But one thing on their website, this person says, it's this person, Dana, says, Dana's food philosophy has evolved greatly over the last several years, and she now enjoys a diverse diet free from labels. And I loved that phrasing so much. That's amazing. Yes. I just I just loved that. A diverse diet free from labels. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I want to adopt that philosophy. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I've been doing is I've been trying to like say yes to kind of mom and baby things. It's like your own kind of year of yes via Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. But you know, I've, I know you did that. I did that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I think (sighs) making new friends as an adult is a challenge. So hard. And making new friends as a new mom is also kind of weird. And you're, you're sort of thrown together with these other people just because you happen to have kids at the, you know, who were born at the same time. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to like get out there more because I think it is good for my mental health. Yeah. Um, both to just like leave the house and to, be able to talk to people who are at the same stage that I am. So I've been going to a mommy and me class. And yesterday I went on a picnic with some of the moms from the mommy and me class. Fun. Yeah. Henry wasn't in like the best mood, <laughs> um, but it was fine. And it was like nice to get out and be outside and talk to other people. And so it was good. It's hard though. Making yeah. friends, making friends is freaking hard. But this is right. And like, this is probably not something I would have done before. Like go on a picnic with four other women who I don't really know. Yeah. That's like a bold thing to do. Yeah. And spend like two hours with them. So trying to, you know, getting out of that comfort stretch. zone a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Get out of the comfort zone. Do you identify as an introvert? I identify as an introverted extrovert. I wonder what I am. Maybe an extroverted introvert. Doesn't matter. But in, you just identify as someone who you can communicate with people. You yes. enjoy being around people, but you also need. I need my quiet. alone time. Yeah. Um, and like after, after a couple hours with people, I'm like drained. Yeah. Like I came home and like I had a headache after the picnic. Yes. Yeah. Um, to like have to be on for that long around new people, I do find draining. Um, but I love being around like my friends, you know, I like being around people, but also I find making 
like putting myself out there to be difficult. I've been trying to get better like over the last few years at small talk (laughs) because it's really hard, but I do think it is like socially valuable. It's, I agree with both those statements. Um, and I think actually, you know, there's a lot of like denigration of small talk. And it is a way, it is the first step in getting to know somebody. Exactly. Like eventually it either stops there or it moves to the next level. Exactly. Exactly. But you're not going to just like open a conversation with like, so how does your husband treat you? Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you right. do, you right. know, you do have talk about the weather or in LA, like you talk about the traffic right. or, you know, what these are your are... top five insecurities and how are you handling right, exactly. that? Yeah, you like, don't, yeah. you don't open with that. No. <laughs> um, so I don't know. These are, these are just like interesting things that I think about now as I'm like meeting all these new people. And the small talk we have is generally around our babies. Right. Cause you are, you're brought together through a mom and me yes. situation. Yeah. And it's like, it's usually like, how are they sleeping? I, I know. And I find that when I would go hang out with other new moms, I would leave and be like, I don't know anything. Like, I don't really know. We don't know each other. We're just talking about these, like these beings that we totally. have. And it's, and, we and did, getting past that is hard. We did finally, I feel like towards the end of the picnic, we all started, we talked, we talked a little bit about like what we do for a living. Um, and when I brought up the podcast, they asked me for some skincare recommendations. Ooh, and you were like, yeah. here I go. I was like, hyaluronic acid. <laughs> <laughs> um, gather around everyone. Exactly. And then the other thing is, Kate, I took your advice. Go on. I bought Pam. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about where, what, how. So, you know, I know we talk a lot about trying to avoid fast fashion and sustainable clothing. But I had neither the time nor the money to buy sustainable or secondhand stuff at the moment. I just had to march into Old Navy and get it done. Um, And did you get it done? I did. You know, some people had recommended their Rockstar jeggings. I didn't love them. But... I found they had some nice linen pants. Is that what you're wearing right now? No, these are actually maternity pants. Um, They had some linen pants and then they had some like twill pants that were very soft. Mm. I'll show them to you. Um, And I'm very happy with them. And then I ordered a couple more pairs from the website. So, you know, I I just I needed to be clothed. Yes. And clothes that fit your body where it is right now. Exactly. Um, And then I did find a pair of jeans at Madewell that I bought that I really liked. Um, It's yeah, it's weird. My body, I feel like my body right now, it's just like shaped differently. Totally. And and it might, it it will probably, it's going to assume a new shape, perhaps. It might not, it's, we're never going to return to who we were yesterday. No, it's true. We keep moving forward. Yeah. Embrace the shape. Embrace the shape. So thank you for that suggestion. Anytime. And uh, yeah, I I can actually clothe myself. I'm very happy for you. That's such a good feeling. It is a good feeling. Yeah, for sure. (sighs) Well, should we take a short break? Let's take a pause and and come back with our guests. Okay. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. 
We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year, I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like, I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 Lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be Redefining feminism with glorious dynam. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins. Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Hey, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires and just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, "Oh god, like get this off of me." <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. 
Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. Our guest today is Elizabeth Gilbert, and we're so excited she is here with us. Elizabeth is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Big Magic and Eat, Pray, Love, as well as several other internationally bestselling books. She has been a finalist for the National Book Award, the National Book Critics Circle Award, and the Penn Hemingway Award, and her novel, The Signature of All Things, was named a best book of 2013 by the New York Times, Oprah Magazine, The Washington Post, The Chicago Tribune, and The New Yorker, and her new book, City of Girls, is out now which Kirk has called a big old banana split of a book, surely the cure for what ails you, which as someone who is in the middle of reading it right now, I can say that it is. It's like the most delicious, soothing, yummy thing to just like dig into and devour. I'm just loving it. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry to have laughed so openly, but I I still get a kick out of a big old banana split of a book. That's perfect. It's the best quote. I've never, ever read about a book being compared to a banana split, but I find it very (laughs) accurate. And also it kind of nails the a lot of the time when the book takes place. So it just felt very perfect. So Liz, we always we have started a lot of our interviews by asking uh, our interviewees about a self-care practice that they have. And it doesn't need to be some sort of like big triumphant thing, but we're more curious about something you might do on a regular basis to help take care of yourself, to make yourself feel good or grounded or in your own skin. Uh, I will tell you one that I do that is that is relatively new. I mean, there's all the sort of fancy official self-care <laughs> practices that I've gone in and out of over the years, like all of us go in and out of them. You know, um, like sometimes we do yoga and sometimes we're running for a while and sometimes we have a meditation practice. Um, if you're like me, you've probably done all of those things uh, at varying degrees of discipline. <laughs> um, but, but for me, the one that lately has been a real game changer is that I dance every day. Um, and this started, um, about, Oh, about a year and a half ago after my partner, Ray Elias passed away. And it became one of the things that I do, um, every day to kind of let grief, it started as sort of letting grief move through my body through physical movement. Um, and now it's just become a way that I wake up and that I, um, kind of embrace, embrace the day. And I just put my own music on my phone and I hit shuffle and I will dance to whatever comes up, which means that sometimes it's like ACDC and sometimes it's Leonard Cohen and sometimes it's Mozart, um, whatever is there. And it's just been the most extraordinary transformative practice, um, to actually, I also think it's also really important for us to remember that we have a body. Um, if you're like me, your very first thing of the day is to, as soon as you achieve consciousness from being asleep, you're instantly in your head. Um, and the debates begin, the arguments begin, the shame begins, the terror begins, the anxiety begins, you know, and you're just, Oh, the head's awake. So now it's running the show. And I think it's really nice to, um, for me, it's been really nice to remember that I'm not just a head on a broomstick. Um, I'm actually, I actually have a human body. You have limbs. Um, 
Yeah, I have limbs, and uh, and it just moves energy around in a different way, and it's it's great. I love it. It's, and I'm not. I, I am no. I am no kind of dancer. This is nothing that anybody um, needs to see. And I can tell you truly that if I can dance, uh, anybody can. Um, but it does something to you, and it's it's just really great. Has it been um, useful in just kind of experiencing? the way grief manifests physically. I, I'm, I, I wrote a whole book about grief and loss. I lost my mom oh. also to pancreatic cancer. Oh, and I sweet. know, I know it physically lived in my body and I'm wondering if it's, it's, if it's a way of just kind of getting it out or getting it moving or just feeling it more. All of those things. And, you know, as you know, cause you've been through it and as probably most people know, cause everyone will at some point go through it. Um, grief, grief feels, can feel like anything from, you're on fire with, you're on fire with, um, a searing, blistering emotional pain to you have a flu that just won't go away. Um, you know, and it never, you know, just heaviness. There's a weight. I mean, I, I was, I'm struck by my own grief experience about how much vitality it takes out of you, even though there are times where it's very electrifying. I mean, um, in the kind of heightened moments of grief, the, the great moments of of sobbing and, 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 and feeling the, the, um, the keening of that loss, that's a kind of vitality, but the, the rest of it, after those moments, it seems to kind of settle on you like a weight. That's how I experience it. It's very heavy. Um, you don't, you just don't feel good. You just don't feel right. And everything is hard and walking up a flight of stairs is hard and getting out of bed is hard. Everything, it's like gravity has changed. And so, yeah, I feel like dancing is a way of allowing the heaviness out. Um, and I, I, not so much now, but in the, in the early months of my grief, I would cry almost every time I danced. It was, it was just a way of, of, of just getting it out of my bones and, and into the atmosphere and letting, and letting a friendly, neutral, the friendly, neutral air that surrounds us um, absorb it so that it doesn't have to live inside of you. Oh, mm. I love that. Yeah, I do, too. I, I want to do that. I'm I know. I'm not really grieving right now, but. But you don't, I don't think you need oh, to yeah. be. I'm not either so much. I mean, I, it comes and goes, but it's like it's still really, I, it's become a practice that I just, I, I can't imagine ever starting a day without dancing again. I, there's something so powerful, too, about just being in your body mm -hmm. and that the privilege of having our, our bodies and being able to move them is so beautiful. And, and then enjoying some music and you don't know what's going to pop up. Did you dance today? I did dance today. Um, I danced today to some Motown, um, <sighs> which was a really, it's also such a nice surprise because I, I also feel it's kind of like a randomness of let's turn this over to the universe and see what needs to be felt right now. Um, so when, you know, so when it's, um, Al Green, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, I guess I need to feel that. Like there's a very particular thing that that feels like, you know, and then other times it's Pharrell and you're like, Oh, I guess I need to feel this, <laughs> you know? And, um, and other times it's Jeff Buckley and the mm. tears are sheeting down my face and I'm like, Oh, I guess I need to feel this. And this is one of the things that that music can do. And it's so, it's so unintellectual. That's what I like about it. Um, it's, it's not an intellectual exercise. It's not even the, the strictness of meditation. It's giving yourself over to something. Um, and, and it's never the wrong song. Mm. Well, I know what I'll be doing tomorrow when yeah. I wake up. <laughs> 
please join me yeah. um, for dance to a random song and see what it feels like exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I did, you know, I did that actually recently and it was the most amazing feeling and that mm. feeling of also not care, not, not one, nobody's watching, but also not giving a crap what it looks like. It's yeah. so empowering. It's amazing. And, and it also, also brings me back to a moment that I'll never forget. Um, at the very early onslaught of Ray's diagnosis, where we had been doing a lot of crying and a lot of upheaval and, and we were, um, we were in California, we were visiting a friend and, and it had been a day of just the grieving that is also interwoven into being with somebody at the beginning of a terminal diagnosis, which is a very particular kind of emotional state to be in. And, and, you know, we were all just so bowed down by it. And all of a sudden, um, a David Bowie song came on and, and Rhea just got this giant smile on her face. And she was like, well, you guys, we could either just sit here at this picnic table and keep crying or we can dance. <laughs> and, um, and she just stood up and started dancing and we did too. And I'll never forget what she looked like in that moment. And I think that's part of what compelled me to begin to do it was, well, Liz, you can, you can sit on this couch and keep crying, which is also okay. Or we can get up and dance and remember that as per this moment, you actually still have life. She wasn't even in any pain at that point. Mm. Um, her, she'd found out about her cancer in a very roundabout accidental way. So she, she was like, well, I guess now we're going to just do this. And, and so that's part of me honoring that, that whole spirit. Mm. Um, to kind of stay on this topic of grief, but switch gears a little bit to writing. Um, you have said that you wrote City of Girls while you were grieving and that it, it's the lightest, funniest thing I've written out of the darkest grief. Um, yeah. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that, kind of how that happened and, um, you know, what, what it's like to write a book when you are truly grieving. Well, I, you know, I just got this flash in my head when you said, how did it happen? I have to just say grace. It happened because of grace. It's not something that I would have planned. It's not something that I would have been smart enough to figure out on my own. Mm. Um, what happened is that the book was due. The book was due really. That's it. And, and it was due August 1st and Rhea died and January 4th of that same year. And I had been, I hadn't worked on it for 18 months. Um, I had worked on it and done a lot of research on it prior to her getting ill. And then as soon as she got sick, you know, a plug was pulled on my entire life. Uh, whatever metaphor you want to use, a trap door opened. I fell through it. Um, nothing else in the world mattered to me. I couldn't begin to imagine even caring about something as frivolous as a novel about New York City showgirls in the 1940s and their sexual escapades. Who cares? Who cares about musical theater? Who cares about costuming and fashion? Who cares about who could even begin to care? And, um, and the entire time that Rhea was, was sick and dying, I was writing constantly, but I was writing about her, um, because I wanted to chronicle every single moment of it and not lose it. Um, but this book was actually the one I was contracted to deliver to my publisher on August 1st. And they'd already given me a year extension because of her illness. And I got the sense um, in a few conversations with them that they would not be particularly open to offering another extension. They were kind of like, no, this is really, really, really due. And part of me wanted to play the pity card, which would have been very valid to just say, 
you've got to be kidding me. Like you can't possibly expect me to deliver this. Look what I've just gone through. But, but there was this tiny little response that I had when I started getting the signal from them saying this book is really due. That was the beginning of the feeling of a return of vitality. And what Mm. it was, was a sense of, Oh, holy shit. I don't know if I can do this. (laughs) Mm. Like, Oh, this is quite, this would be an interesting challenge. Like who can, and, and that feeling, instead of feeling overwhelming in terms of I'm over my head, I can't do this felt like a dare. It felt like a dare. And, and there's enough of me that, that responds to dares to take the dare and to just say like, what do you think, Gilbert? What do you got? Can you, can you pull out of you? what you promised mm. a book that you said was going to go down like a champagne cocktail, like a tray of champagne cocktails. Can you find that from this place? And, and, and that, and I was like, God, I don't know. And I'm, I'm at a point in my life creatively where I've been doing this work. I've been writing my entire life. I've been doing this professionally for 30 years. And I'm, I'm, I pretty much know that I know how to do it, but that sense of doubt of, I don't know if I can do that under these circumstances was actually exactly what I needed to, to give myself a a challenge. Um, and, and it was scary because I thought I don't have my vitality. I don't have any interest in this. I don't feel my creativity flowing through me, but I'm going to see if I can pull this off as a dare, literally as a dare. And then once I started writing, I realized that I'd forgotten this amazing thing about creativity, which is that, a lot of times we don't engage in creativity because we don't feel like we have any vitality, but actually creativity is the thing that restores vitality. <laughs> and so that's how you get it. You don't wait till you feel good to create, you create, and then you will start to feel good. And lo, it came to pass again, even in those extraordinary circumstances. I mean, come on, your wisdom is just, <laughs> un- I'm sitting here, I'm holding uh, Dory's copy of Big Magic, because we both read it as writers, and it's resonated with us both so much. We get a lot of listeners of the podcast who write in. Well, and we should just oh, say yes. what Big Magic is. Oh, excuse me, Dory. Yes, <laughs> go ahead. Um, It is uh, her book about creative living beyond fear. And it it, it was really important for me when I wrote my book. Same. Yeah. So oh, thank I'm you so for writing happy. it. Yes. <laughs> Help. Yeah. That is the one book I've ever written that I can honestly say I only had one motive in writing that book and it was actually that I really wanted to help people. Um, that, you know, Eat, Pray, Love, which turned into like a big self-help book was actually, I literally a self-help book and that I wrote it to help myself. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it ended up helping other people, but big magic really, I did feel like, Oh, I want to help people. I want to help people get on the other side of their fear with creativity because there's, there is so much to be found on the other side of it if you can give yourself over to it. Um, so I'm so delighted to hear that it was helpful to you. What do you say when people are like, I'm, I'm scared or I, I feel like it's already been done. I don't know what I would do. You know, I, I love, I love the word vi- just vitality is such an interesting word to bring into the conversation. I'm curious what you say to people when they express their, you know, they can, they read your book and they still express their fear or their self doubt about cre- their own creativity. You know, I think I would, what I would most want to do is just normalize that as much as possible. Um, because I think in some ways I'm just 
spitballing this as I'm talking to you, but I'm send it, in some ways it's not so much the fear that's the problem. It's the terrible, terrible shame around the fear that's the problem. Um, the idea that there's something particularly wrong with you, that you are particularly cowardly, that you are particularly unambitious, that you are particularly undisciplined. And I would instantly want to just be like, oh, honey, <laughs> me too. Like I'm scared every time I begin a project. And that's, um, and, and the relationship that I've established over the years is not so much a posture of fearlessness. It's a posture of, of, um, empathy toward myself about my fear. And, and so what I would invite the person to do is to, um, see if they can alter their posture toward their fear from one of, um, like shame and recoiling, which actually only shuts you down more to a very loving, like maternal. And by maternal, I don't mean in the example of the actual mother that you may have had. <laughs> I mean, in the example of like the great mother, mm-hmm. the, the great loving mother and allow your fear and really good exercises to allow your fear to write you a letter and tell you everything that it's afraid of without you interrupting it, without you arguing with it, without you shaming it, without you saying, why are you like this? Why can't you be better? Why, you know, you, it's not a conversation. It's you listening. Mm. So you just imagine that it's like the truth and reconciliation hearing or, or, uh, you know, imagine if you, I know this will be hard for some of you to imagine. Imagine if you came from a really dysfunctional family. Wow. Imagine <laughs> that. And imagine if one member of the family actually achieved enlightenment and was able to say, look, I'm putting down all the weapons of war and I'm just going to sit here at this kitchen table, at this wooden kitchen table, very wearily, but open with a cup of coffee in my hand and a single light bulb burning overhead. And I'm going to invite anybody who wants to speak to come in. Who's first? Oh, hi, fear. Come on in. And then fear gets to come and sit there and write its letter and say, this is what I'm so scared of. And you just listen you just listen and you'll be amazed at how much that can change in your life. One thing that will happen is that you may discover that a lot of us think that our fear is bottomless and infinite, but if you actually let it speak without interrupting it, you'll discover that it will come to an end. There's actually, it, you'll actually have trouble keeping that letter going for more than five or six minutes. <laughs> um, it, once it lists, it'll run out of things. And, and, and I, I think we just don't think that fear ever has an end, but if you don't interrupt it, it will come to an end. And you'll also see that the things that it's afraid of might actually be pretty reasonable um, and that there'll be maybe six or seven of them. Um, and that's what it is. I'm afraid of not having any money. I'm afraid of not being good enough. I'm afraid of being criticized. These are all reasonable things to be afraid of. you know. Um, and if you can then say that to your fear in a very loving way, write a letter back to it and say, I, I hear you and I see you and I and I see how scared you are. And it's totally understandable. Who wants to be criticized? Who wants to fail? Who wants to run out of money? Who wants to feel like they don't have any talent? Just let, you know, just be understanding and then say, I'm really glad you got a chance to talk. And now we're going to begin making something because um, I'm just 1% more curious about the outcome of this than I am afraid of it. And just let that curiosity be the thing that takes you to the next step. I have, I have a book due in December and I think I need to reread Big Magic. Yeah. <laughs> and write that letter to yes, fear dory i do yeah. <laughs> you know we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it because look as i'm learning in my mid-40s as you get older you deal with new things when it comes to your skin not that they're bad they're just new you know what i mean like i am now just discovering crappiness Story. Mm. 
Okay. Which is okay. I know. Visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. You mentioned shame and I, there's a quote that is in City of Girls that I love and I I'm, I'm, don't think I'm the first person to point this out, but you write that at some point in a woman's life, she just gets tired of being ashamed all the time. And after that, she is free to become whoever she truly is. Mm. And that's like a... Preach. Just an arrow <laughs> to the heart. And, and so much of what you're talking about is just the kind of exploration of sexuality and things that make us feel good. And so often shame is tied up in a lot of those things. And I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit to to that and how we can find, you know, joy and freedom in our our desires as women. Well it's tricky. I mean you're you're up against a lot. You're up against um centuries of of a training that tells you that there's something inherently bad and wrong about you. Um, and, and that can show up in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, it's, it's prevalent throughout the entire culture. I mean, I would say that the central lie upon which Western culture is based is there's something wrong with you. You know, that is the central lie. And, and it's a very difficult lie to unthread um, because we've, it's in the groundwater, you know, it's in our bones. We've been, we've been drinking that lie down our whole lives and, and everything in the culture will tell you that, um, it, it, you don't even have to come from a particularly religious culture to have inherited that idea. You can get it just from the media and from depictions of what a woman is supposed to look like, be like, feel like, act like, um, and, and, and you can get it. It's not exclusive to Christian conservatives. You can also be, sh you can also be very shamed from the left, um, from progressives who say that it's, you know, that your desire to, um, dress up and be sexual and to show your body is, 
um, demeaning to women. You know, that, that, so it's like, it doesn't matter which way you turn, <laughs> you're going to get it. Like yeah. somebody's going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. And somebody's going to tell you that, um, sorry about the siren. We're getting too close to the truth. <laughs> <laughs> They're, They're coming, coming for, for us. us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> a bunch of black helicopters up there, too. Um, so, so the, to, to me, the beginning of it is, you know, and I, I sound like I know I'm banging a drum on this because it's going to sound very similar to what I said about creativity, but I think it's of the essence for all of us is establishing a loving sense of stewardship towards your own self in all her forms. And, this is the one thing that it's taken me forever to learn and that I have to keep learning again and again is that I don't really know how I don't at all know how the universe works. I don't know what my purpose is here. I don't know who I'm supposed to belong to. I don't know how any of this works, but one thing that I've been able to glean is that apparently I was given this one. I'm pointing to myself right now. I was given this one to take care of like something whether it was random or whether it was intentional, put in my hands this being, this being, and said, well, this is yours to take care of. Um, I don't know who else I'm supposed to be taking care of, but I, but I know at this point in my life that, that loving stewardship toward myself is the highest possible way that I can honor the responsibility that I was given to take care of her, to take care of her health and her heart and her mind. Um, and so that's the beginning of it, you know, um, and, and that's the beginning of saying something that I used to hear Rhea say all the time, which was, I've got me, <laughs> mm. I've got me, like everyone else can leave, everyone else can disappoint me, everyone else can fail me, and everyone else can be in their own drama and not be able to look out for me in the ways that I want. But, but bottom line is, you know, and she, she only was able to start saying that in her mid fifties when she had finally reached that point where she was like, I've got me. You know, and, and in, and that's not saying that you're in control of everything. It's just saying that your fundamental posture toward yourself is one of loving care. And that means to me that you try stuff and it may or may not work. You know, having that sense of I've got me doesn't mean that any of this is perfectable. Um, it doesn't mean that sex is ever going to be safe. That's something that I think is really interesting to watch in this culture is how we keep trying to break the code on figuring out how to have sex and intimacy be safe. When in fact, my experience has never been that it ever is. Um, there's a lot of vulnerability in it. There's a lot of desire in it. There's a lot of possibility for people to get hurt, to hurt or to hurt others. Um, there's a lot of certainty that then dissolves and becomes uncertainty. There's a lot of ambivalence. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it's messy. It is the ultimate collision of two energies, two very messy energies. So I don't know that the answer is let's figure out how to do this in such a way that we do it right. I think the answer is um, let's try to do things. And then if it turns out that it was uh, a dumpster fire <laughs> rather than um, the beautiful romance that we were imagining, I've got me, I've got me. Um, there will be a, a net that catches me and it will be me. It will be me saying, okay, sweetheart, um, you did your very best on that. That hurt. Um, that went all wrong. I'm really sorry. Um, past me thought that it was a really great idea with the evidence that she had. <laughs> Turns out not so much. Um, how are we going to take care of you now from here? Like what, what is the best amount? What is it that you need today? Um, to start to recover yourself again? How are we going to give our heart back to ourselves now? Um, how can I love you today? 
how can I take care of you today? That's stewardship. And I think that's the only thing that really can be not controlled, but tended to. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah I mean, I listened to your most recent Super Soul Sunday. I love a good Super Soul Sunday, but then when I saw oh, it, was you, it was like, oh, you know, double whammy. <laughs> <laughs> and you talked so much about having mercy for yourself, which I thought was so interesting. I, I, that word doesn't come up as much as I think it should. And, and I loved just hearing you use it and, and as like the first step of self love. This is a merciless, merciless culture. Um, absolutely merciless. And, and, you know, who do you know? Who do you see out there in the world modeling? You may see people out there modeling what it's like to be merciful toward others in a way that may sometimes actually turn into martyrdom even, you know, um, giving of themselves until there's nothing left, until they're completely depleted. And that's held up as a model of self-sacrifice. Um, but where do you see, who do you see setting the tone of what it looks like to to stand facing towards yourself in a genuine posture of mercy. It's, where is that? <laughs> you know, um, We talk about self-acceptance, but self-acceptance is so grudging. You know, it's like, all right, I accept you. <laughs> <laughs> and we talk about self-love and self-love is so lofty. It's like, God, that seems out of reach. You know, um, I, I just feel like the, the word that always melts my pain is mercy. Um, I'm just going to try to find mercy toward myself right now, toward the dilemma, the essential dilemma of being a human being, the particular dilemma of being female, um, my own, my own shortcomings of character that cause me to run into the same sorts of problems again and again, the stuff that I can't seem to get right, no matter how old I get, um, my ego, my vanity, my, my desperation, my neediness, all of that needs to be addressed, but before it can be quote unquote fixed, it has to be held in a, in a compassionate state of mercy. And, and I feel like the easiest way to do that is to ask yourself whether you think you are so very special that you alone are not deserving of mercy. Because I mean, I can hear it in your voices and the way that you speak and the podcast that you've created for women clearly i don't have to go out of my way to guess that you guys are probably two people who really care about um moving through the world in a state of compassion and that that's what you want to be you want to be compassionate and you want to be loving um and i can also probably guess that you leave yourselves out of that equation all the time because everybody does oh you're and, so correct <laughs> and it doesn't take a genius to figure that out i i don't have to read your tarot cards to know that about you because you're just like me and and so what i would tell you is that it's a very lovely and lofty aim to want to practice universal human compassion but universal human compassion that does not include the self is actually not universal nor is it compassionate and um, that is the, that's where the rubber meets the road right there is, can you actually fold yourself into that as well? And where I really started to get this lesson is when I realized that there's a tremendous narcissism in excluding yourself from the mercy that you would show to anybody. So if anyone came up to you and told their story and it was exactly like your story, the same thing that you're ashamed of. And they came and they told it to you and they were like, I can never forgive myself for this. I can never stop beating myself up for this. Like, of course you would like enfold them in total mercy and be like, Oh my God, you've got to let this go. I would like, you would never want to let another human being suffer in that. 
but you won't release yourself. And so to me, what I realized is that's profoundly narcissistic because what you're saying is I'm a special case. I'm, I'm actually to be held to a higher standard of ethics and morals than anyone else. Everybody else gets to be forgiven, not me. What makes you so special that you also do not get to be enfolded in the family of man and the, and human mercy? And that's the beginning of actually the humility that's at the basis of real mercy. So the humil- it's like it, it's a practice of humility to say that I'm just one of us. I'm just one of us. I'm just another sick and suffering person trying to manage the dilemma of being consciousness in an ape's body. I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm not in control always of my desires. I have an ungovernable mind. I'm doing my very best. And sometimes I'm doing my very worst. And I too am a child of this mystery deserving of mercy. That's the ultimate practice of humility. I believe you're turning 50 this year. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, like in in it, minutes. You're a Ju- are you a July birthday? Or I'm June? a July birthday. Yeah. Um, what does that look like for you? You know, our our podcast is called Forever Thirty Five. We're both in our forties. You know, we love talking. <laughs> we have listeners who are in college, but we also have listeners who are in their fifties and sixties. And I'm just curious, where, how do you celebrate? another rotation on the earth. What does that mean to you? I'm so excited. I'm really, really excited about being 50. I've actually been laying claim to it for two years, even though I'm not just because I love, I think I love the gravitas that it gives me, you know, I'm like, I'm 50 now. So I'm allowed to, um, and I, and I, the only birthday that really jacked me was 30. Um, Hmm. 30 was really hard because I was, I had ended up in such a wrong place for my integrity. I was in a marriage that, that I wasn't happy in. And I was supposed to start, I was supposed to start trying to have a kid and, I was just following what had happened is that I had followed the template of what culture tells you um, will make you happy. And uh, so I had gotten married and I had, and I was like, okay, that's done. That's question is settled. And then when I'm 30, I'll have a kid and I just couldn't do it. So I, I had a major, major nervous breakdown, meltdown, um, went into a two year long, two or three year long, very terrible depression. Like it, it, I, I really lost myself, but it was on my way to finding myself. Mm. So I think all the big birthdays now feel really great. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm not there. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, I didn't do, I got out. I got out. I saved myself. Um, for me, 50 is a celebration of all the times and all the ways that I keep saving my own life. Um, cause I do tend to accidentally keep ending up in circumstances innocently thinking this is where my happiness is going to be and then finding out again and again and again that it's not and then using my heart and my courage to get me out of it and back to something that feels good again and so that's what i feel like the greatest thing is about 50 is like i have saved my life so many times like liz and i have gotten through so much stuff together (laughs) i have like boosted myself out of so many jail cells i've gotten myself out of so many situations that where it's like ooh, i thought this would bring me i thought this was a parachute but it's actually a backpack filled with bricks um like (laughs) oh no you know like (laughs) oh i thought this was you know i took the blue pill instead of the pink pill and um and and here and yet here we are you know so there's this great sense of of joy of um, oh my God, we've gotten through the whole maze so far and we're still here. It's so good. Well, we're so glad you're here. 
And we're so thanks. I'm glad I have to. (laughs) (laughs) We're really glad to get to talk to you. It's been such a joy. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thanks for your, your big hearts and, and, um, and your smart minds. It's been lovely talking to you. So you already on this podcast fulfilled one of your intentions from last week. I executed my intention to share and celebrate my accomplishments, feel pride. And when I do a good job or when I get something done, I also like sent a note to my writing group and sent a note to another writing group. And I was like, I did it. I finished the manuscript. I'm proud. Yeah. So I did it. I'm proud of you. Well, thank you. Uh, What about next week? Next week, Dory, I'm getting back to my gratitude practice. I'm participating in it every day. Yay. I'm committing to doing that. And I'm going to do my gratitude practice daily for the month of July. July is my birthday month. It's kind of something I like to do. If anyone wants to join me in the month of July, That's we can do so a little cool. grat challenge together. That's very cool. Um, so every day, daily, getting it back in gear. Into it. Thank you. Last week, you were tr- looking for a way to get back into the physical space. I Oh, I love that framing. Oh, thank you. Um, I went to the gym. That's right. I texted you. Yeah. And you were like, I just finished at the gym. Yeah. So I, I went once. Perfect. I walked on the treadmill. Amazing. For about half an hour. And then I did some stretching. Mm. And I took a shower and left. A perfect session. Yeah. So again, it was like one of those things where I felt like it didn't even matter what I did there. I could have walked on the treadmill for 30 seconds. You could have just showered. I could have just showered. It was the act of getting out of the house, going to the gym, just sort of like committing to that for myself that was important um yeah so i'm so so i so i did it and i think now that the seal has been broken i'm going to i'm like already thinking about like okay when can i get back how can i fit that into my day great job dory thank you i'm proud of you thank you what are you headed for this week well i i want to get back on that old cooking and meal planning train okay i'm ready for it cool yeah i've been cooking a little more um just trying to get takeout less um which you know is hard Yes. Takeout is so easy. Takeout is so easy. So expensive. So expensive. And so, you know, just kind of trying to like watch that. Um, but also like just health wise, takeout is often like very salty, very heavy. Like I don't always feel so great after I eat it. And so, um, that's also partly why I want to get back into meal planning. So I'm excited about that. Cool. Yeah. Can't wait to see what vegetarian recipes you come up with this week. I know. Well, Dory, <sighs> that brings us to the end. Friends, if you want to leave us a voicemail, the number is 781-591-0390, or you can always email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is facebook.com slash group slash forever35podcast, and the password is serums. And if you enjoy the show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, or mention us on Yield social media. And just a reminder that everything we mention is always on our website, forever35podcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at forever35podcast and on Twitter at forever35pod. And of course, Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer and produced and edited by Sammy Punio. Lane Hammer is our assistant. Bye, y'all. Thank you.